Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. So that's when we started the podcast. We just did. What? <laughs> I pushed play, and then you explained the J10 initiative. Oh, man. You're so sneaky. Well, this is John and Deacon John and Joe. I'm sorry. Catholic Stuff You Should Know. I'm just getting back at you for pointing out all my discreet uh, motions to you I know um, what I'm trying to do you behind the scenes you and you're, you're sneaky. you don't allow me to so this is my way of stabbing you in the back well friend. here we are here we are again my, my friend uh, it's hard to believe it's November it's still beautiful out here it's uh, it how, is many, awesome. how many days till ski season I think 20 we need 20 it to be days. less days because I'm getting a little antsy I could use some days up on the slopes you got your cool ski beanie on this morning you know, it's I like do. 80 degrees up here <laughs> Yeah, actually, I just realized that. I should probably take this thing off. Okay, so um, now they know what a J10 initiative is. There should be an About Us page on the website, but somebody hasn't turned in their bio for like the last six months. I'm Ooh. not going to name names, but... Did you turn in yours not, in? I have mine in. I have mine in. Okay, so on the webpage is a um, paragraph as well about the J10, January 2010, being the uh, Holy Father's uh, papal intention is when we started the podcast, and trying to use technology... Uh, to further the gospel. I hope you're liking it. We have no idea who listens to this and how many people do. Uh, it could be just Joe's family and Dr. J and uh, Brandon Smith. But, uh, you know, we're happy if that's all it is. Yeah, and we're hope, we hope you guys enjoy it. We've gotten some emails from people. That's which true. Is, we have gotten other Which emails. is cool. Um, and it's really cool to actually see and humbling to see some of the, the cool things uh, people are getting out of this. So, it's kind of, yeah. Cool. I love it, man. Well, uh, John. Yeah, what are, what are we talking about today? Speaking of emails, yeah, we're talking, this is email is actually the results of a listener request oh. um somebody you know See, we guy? do actually listen to your request <laughs> here look at this uh, uh, thank you go. subject suggestion for deacon john oh ned do you, i don't know who that is yeah ned golish so ned golish apparently was at john's ordination to the diaconate about a month ago and had a question about he noticed you know the bishops there are three bishops at the ordination and uh just curious about you know what are they wearing? Why do they wear what they wear? How come? Can you guys explain? Great this question. Let me read this real quick. How about explaining to all of us why uh, the whys and whens our bishops wear their miters or beanies? Uh, those head coverings are on and off many times during mass, and I don't know uh, what what are the reasons for it and why. Great question, Ned. Great question. That is a great question, and I'm actually kind of uh, sad that you read it because I don't exactly answer his question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. Why did you hand it to me? Okay. I just wanted you to know who that well, person Ned, was. Sorry, well, we're not going to answer the question. Not perfectly, at least. Okay. But hopefully what we have to offer <laughs> is interesting nonetheless. Um, uh, the Most of what I'm going to be pulling from this is actually from an article written by a certain father, William Saunders. Um, and when I saw this name, I was like, this name sounds really familiar. How do I know this guy? And then I looked at the bottom, and he's the pastor of my brother Paulie's church. Oh. Yeah, crazy. so... Paul, everything, if you're listening, uh, Paul and Moore, everything in this podcast, you guys probably already heard before. because From the pulpit. From the pulpit, because your pastor, um, who's also a teacher at Christendom College, didn't know that, uh, Father William Saunders at Our Lady of Hope in Virginia. Excellent. So, um, But this is great stuff. So most of what I'm pulling, not everything, is from him, uh, but hopefully it's some good stuff. You can check it out yourself. Um, it's called the symbols of the office of bishop. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. The symbols. So yeah, you know. So when you go to this diaconate ordination, you see the bishops, and they have their mitres, which is their big hat right. that they wear, and their crozier. These are all fancy words for okay. their staff. 
They're kind staff of staff in hand. Shepherd staff thing on the head. They got their ship. They got their crozier. They got their miter. Uh, they have a few other things. Okay. So we're going to talk about each of them. What okay. it symbolizes. Basically, the um, <clears throat> everything the bishops wear. They wear certain regalia to signify the distinct order of bishop. It's the fullness of the priesthood. Right. You know, everybody who's ordained a priest shares in the priesthood of the bishop who ordains them, right? But the bishop possesses a fullness of ordination, and these symbol, these are all symbols to signify that. So the first thing, it's kind of unique. Actually, before we go to the first thing, go why do we have symbols? Like, you know, I can just think of somebody maybe who's not Catholic, shows up at the ordination, it's just like, why is that guy wearing all that stuff? Why does it matter? Why do Catholics worship? It's like you guys have your you have your um, your priorities in the wrong place, you know? No, it's, it's really cool. It's interesting. I was thinking about this because we have symbols because... Everything that th- in this world can be a visible sign of invisible realities. Of right. invis- I mean, this is what the sacraments all about. We have baptism in water, visible signs, sensible realities that signify something invisible, uh, and it, it teaches us. But it also is a signifying gr- sacra- sacraments in themselves signify grace. Mm-hmm. They affect grace. You know, the invisible grace of baptism. Um, but other symbols like this, they signify invisible realities. They might not affect anything. Um, but they, they should teach us. And it's interesting because these symbols should teach us something, but we also have to learn about the symbols so we can be taught by them. Um, so, I mean, that's the main reason, um, because there is, there is a reality, invisible reality that's present that these symbols are pointing towards and are signs of. Excellent. So that's what these things are. So the first thing, um, whenever you see a bishop, especially just kind of walking around in his clerics, he'll be wearing a pectoral cross. Pectoral cross. A pectoral cross. So the word <clears throat> pectoral derives from the Latin, uh, pectus meaning chest, chest or breast. So this is the the cross they wear right on their uh, on their chest. Okay. Um, and I didn't know this, but in times past, uh, it's always attached to a chain. And in the earliest times, pectoral cross always contained a relic of the true cross, oh, which is kind of cool, or even a saint. Um, but not all pectoral crosses today have this. But uh, the tradition still remains. And in 1889, the Holy See actually said any relic, any pectoral cross that the bishop has that has a relic of the true cross. He should leave that with his diocese and give it to his successor. Pass it on. Pass it oh, on. Cool. So kind of keep that in the church. Yeah, cool. It's kind of a cool thing. So, and this is cool too. When bishops put the pectoral cross on, um, traditionally they say "muniere me dignieres." Do you know what that means? Um, Latin. Munier, show me your dignity. Something like muniere. that. Muniere. It's uh, basically it's a prayer asking the Lord for strength. Muniere is to fortify, to strengthen. Yeah. Oh, nice. I think it's something like "deem me worthy yeah. to strengthen" or, or "deem me worthy of strength." Um, but basically asking the Lord for strength and protection against all evil and all the enemies uh, and to be mindful of the Lord's passion and cross. You know, So every morning when he puts that on, Munyere Mindignyeres. Beautiful. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Another symbol they have is a ring. Uh, uh, this is, you know, there's five main symbols I'm going to talk about. The second one's a ring. Um, <clears throat> now the ordinary ring which a bishop has uh, on it, there's a, the bishop's coat of arms is on that. And it's also, or some other design. So in, in times past, when we did this sort of thing, he would, when he wrote a letter, he would use as his insignia Sign- to sign the oh, wax. Nice, nice. You know, this is the bishop's ring. But also, it's kind of cool. It signifies, it's a wedding band. It signifies that he, as a bishop, is wedded to his church. You know, in a, in a full, or in, he has the fullness of ordination, right? And yeah. he has a sign- uh, unique office in being the bishop and the shepherd of the Now, there used to be a tradition of, well, I'm sure it's still practiced, of uh, kissing the ring, but Archbishop Shepu hates that. <laughs> yeah, Shepu does not. I don't he think, hate. I don't think he, uh, I mean, there is a tradition. So what is that? And it's still a proper thing to do. It's a recognition of the office, right? Exactly. Okay. It's not, you're not doing, you're not doing an honor to the man. You're doing an honor to the office by kissing the ring. Right. Um, but Archbishop doesn't like it either way. Yeah. So, um, and I, I can understand that. If yeah, I, that'd be awkward. I, I could see Archbishop saying something like, you know, if, uh, 
I don't know if he would have thought that the apostles, if Jesus wanted the apostles to go around getting their rings kissed, kissed by everybody and yeah. being called your eminence, you that know. That sounds like something he would say. It yeah. sounds like something he would say. So um, I could see him just being like, I'm an apostle, I'm a shepherd, right. you don't need to kiss my ring. Right. Um, but that's not, it's not necessarily bad. It's it's actually a beautiful sign. But the ring is the sign of the spousal. It's, it's the sign of the spouse. Yeah, you know, beautiful. it's almost like the spouse kissing the ring of, of her spouse, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so that's the bishop's ring. Okay. Those are the two things he wears um, most of the time. There's three things he wears specifically for liturgical use. Uh, the mitre, the yeah. crozier. Do you know the other one? Um, pallium? There you go. Pallium. Beautiful. All right, they don't so, all have palliums, though, right? They don't all have palliums. Okay. We'll get to You'll that. You'll get to that. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the mitre. The mitre comes uh, derives from a Greek word, mi, uh, mitra, mitre, mitra, which means... The measure? Headdress. What? <laughs> it's much more... A lot of these things are just really practical, actually. Headdress. Um Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So there's some dispute about what the tradition behind this. Um, we do know in the Old Testament, the high priest in the temple wore something like a mitre, a headdress, and, and similar. It was it was linen wrapped around a golden plate uh, on their head, and and on the golden plate, it actually there's the engraving, and this is in the Old Testament, Exodus and Leviticus. There's the engraving uh, "Sacred to the Lord" it was engraved on that, and that's actually what the mitre symbolizes. It's it's a symbol of a consecration, a set apart. For the Lord, um, it's a cult. It's not necessarily um, a symbol that this person who wears the mitre is holy, but that this person who wears the mitre is consecrated and is called to holiness and is called and is set apart for the Lord, which is really a cool thing. Um, so, where did when did it start? We don't really know. There's a tradition that says maybe it went back to the apostles, right. um, but really the first mitre isn't. We don't the, we don't hear any mention of the mitre in the church until like the tenth century. Okay. So there's kind of like some people date it in the first usage in the eighth or ninth centuries. Some people in the tenth. Um, the first written mention it is is in a in something in the year 1049 that the Pope wrote about. Let's see here when he granted Bishop Eberhard of Trier the Roman mitre as a there sign of his authority. This is in the eleventh century. Mm-hmm. So, um, but by the 1100s, bishops were wearing them all. And sometimes you'll see when you know Saint Augustine or the apostles are depicted in art. Oh yeah, you know, they, take always... liter- they take liberties and throw mitre on his head. Why not? Exactly. Um, but it is kind of funny. And over time, it kind of got embellished and it got bigger. I mean, if you know, in the uh, in a lot of the Eastern churches, the bishops it looks a little different. It's kind of a rounded hat with right. a little cross on the top. Right. So right. you could see that. I mean, um, other rites that you know our line goes back earlier than the 10th century uh, have something similar to the mitre. So maybe it's something that's older, but we don't really know. Um, but what's it a symbol? Of? What's the symbol of? I talked about the holiness, but the, you know the mitre. There's also um, so you have the one part with the two big things that go up, right? But then in the back you have the two. Uh, they're called infilet. The two like two little cloths yeah. cloths right. that hang down, right? Um, so, so what are these about? Infilet. Infilet. Looked it up. It's a, a sign of consecration. That's what it means. Hmm. Um, but some suggest that the infilet originated from the sweatband that Greek athletes wore, which I thought was kind of interesting. Whoa. Basically, they would wear this. Uh, sweatband that was wrapped around their forehead and tied behind the head in a knot with the two hands hanging down the back. And since the victorious athlete was crowned with a laurel, the whole headdress was soon seen as a sign of victory. So which makes sense because harking back to St. Paul's words about, you know, fighting the fight and finishing the race, you know, bishops should be leading the flock in the race to salvation yeah. and the final victory in yeah. heaven, you know. So this is kind of a symbol of running the race. The bishop is the You know, it's just kind of cool. Yeah, you can, that's cool. I'm trying to imagine a bishop running and there's little things flapping uh, behind, exactly. you know. The, Maybe Bishop the sweat like, band. He used to a marathon, you know. So. <laughs> exactly. I don't think he was running with his mitre, though. Yeah, maybe. Maybe those infilet were getting kind of sweaty. Infilet. Who knows? Sick. <laughs> um, all right, so that's the mitre. That's the mitre. The crozier. Crozier. Also, so this is pretty straightforward. Yep. Um, you can imagine. The crozier, again, is the staff. Kind of mm-hmm. looks like a shepherd's staff. Right. 
And you could probably do this one, John. It's a symbol of the shepherd. There what? you go. It's a symbol of the shepherd. I mean, the bishop is the shepherd of the diocese. Right. This is a cool thing. I'm just throwing all these words at you because I know you No, you're killing me. Latin here. Yeah, I'm like half asleep. John, we all know how smart you are. Oh, right. gosh. Okay, so Jesus in John 10.10, 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. Right. In the Greek, uh, the word for good is kalos. Yeah. Which, what is that? Do you know what that means? Kalos? Uh, good or beautiful. Good or beautiful. It actually also means model. What? Really? Yeah. When he says, I am the good shepherd, it can also I'm be translated, the model shepherd. I am the model shepherd. Oh, interesting. Uh, which is interesting. So every bishop who is a shepherd uh, is taking his Christ as his model, uh, which is a kind of cool thing. So that symbol of the staff is, is, again, just like the mitre is a call for the bishop to be holy, the staff is a sign that he is called to be a shepherd after yeah. the model of Christ, the good yeah. shepherd. It's interesting because there's a tension in all of these symbols between the office. He receives the office objectively. From Christ, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't deserve that. He's not worthy of that. But then there's also the subjective response and the sub- the call to respond subjectively to live up to that. So you have the office of Christ, who he is, but then the person, the sinner, right. who's trying to conform to that. And yeah, there's always this disparity between the office, the objective office, and the subjective exactly. person yeah. trying to fill that. You know. Yeah. So these cool. these symbols, as much as they're symbols for us of his office, they're symbols for himself of his call. You know, to be a sh- and the, the staff. What does the staff? What does the shepherd do with the staff? He he guards his sheep. He protects his sheep. He right. might discipline his sheep, which is what our bishops are supposed to do: to guard us, to protect us, right. and to discipline us yeah. when we need it. You know, to yeah. keep us in the fold. Right. 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 Uh, so it's really a beautiful symbol. Um, I don't know if you knew this little tidbit here. Since the time of Pope Paul the Sixth, the Holy Father, if you've ever noticed, he doesn't have the little crook at the end of his. He's got a cross. He has a cross. This is only since Paul the Sixth, the Holy Father's crozier has a curved cross at the top, which symbolizes the special office as not only the Bishop of Rome, but also the Vicar of Christ. Huh. So it symbolizes that he's shepherd, but he's also representing Christ, who's entrusted with the leadership of the And John Paul II is the one that comes to my mind because he had the depiction of, well, it was, uh, um, he loved John of the Cross's kind of... Oh, is that John of the Cross's cross? Well, it's like the cross looked at from above, but it, it's, it was drawn out. That was kind of JP2's really? thing. So, anyways. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I love John Paul's yeah. cross. You guys, have, if you don't know what it looks like, you would recognize it if you saw you it. Because it's yeah. pretty recognizable. <clears throat> um, last thing, the pallium. I thought this was kind of interesting. So, who wears the pallium? Archbishops. Archbishops. Metropolitans. Metropolitans. Cardinals. Cardinals. <laughs> okay, the Holy Father wears them. Okay. The Patriarch of Jerusalem wears okay. them. Okay. And metropolitan archbishops, basically what, just metropolitan, just metropolitan archbishops. What's a metropolitan? For? A metropolitan is a bishop who actually governs an archdiocese and heads a province. So, like in our our the archdiocese of Denver is where we're at. Right. The other dioceses in our province are Cheyenne, Colorado Springs, and Pueblo. So right. those four dioceses make up the metropolitan the province. Right. The diocese. So it's like the biggest diocese or the head diocese. Yeah, it's not necessarily always the biggest, but it's the head. And there's really it's just kind of a there's a a slight amount of governorship, but not really much. I mean, it's not like Bishop Sha- Archbishop Shafu has governance over Colorado Springs of Pueblo. Okay. Basically, what that means is that he ordains the bishops of Pueblo gotcha. and Cheyenne, who were just ordained recently. Gotcha. Um, so that's but those were that's those are the metropolitan metropolitans. Okay, and they wear a pallium, and they have to go to Rome to get those, right? Yeah, which is kind of cool. So, what is the pallium? It's a little strip of white wool which is worn around the neck like a collar over the chasuble with two stripes, one hanging down in the front, one hanging down in the back. What's the little clip on it? There's a clip on it? Yeah, there's a clip on it. You Maybe look, that's his microphone. Look, no, it's not his microphone. <laughs> I don't, I don't right. know. Father Saunders doesn't talk about okay. the microphone clip. Oh, um, but the pallium actually predates Christianity. It used to be, back in the day, uh, 
maybe shepherds wore them. It was a, a thing about 12 feet in length worn for warmth. Uh, in the Latin, it actually means a Greek cloak or a cover or a mm. mantle. Um, but now, you know, um, <clears throat> now they're obviously a lot smaller. That's the Latin word for a Greek cloak. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, but basically, when Christianity started, it adopted this garment and viewed it basically just as a sign of their fidelity to Christ. Right. I mean, it doesn't say this, but I imagine like, it's around the neck. It's kind of like the yoke, the yoke of yeah. Christ, uh, but it's also made of wool. So there's a symbol of like being in in, in the fold of Christ, I right, guess, if you will. Right. So it's interesting how this is used, though, because back in the day, when the first when they in the first century, everybody was wearing pelicans. Lady clergy was like, yeah, yeah, this means you're a Christian, right? You know, um, and it really developed. By the third century, it was worn by clergy, lady, and clergy. But by the fourth century. The Pope, and exclusively by him alone. <laughs> so just a hundred years, like the Pope was like, off the- I'm the only one who gets the pallium. But then the 5th century, the Pope would impart some clergy. Uh, by the 9th century, exclusively by the Pope and Metropolitans. But basically, in 1978, they, put down the, they laid down the law. 1978. And they said, Metropolitan bishops and the Patriarch of Jerusalem and the Pope are the only ones getting the pallium. So... Everybody take your palliums off. So I don't know. The, uh, um, I don't know if your grandma still has her pallium back in her. I'll, I'll ask her. Dig that thing out. The... Uh, you know, it's it's interesting that, um, well, I guess it sounds like of all of them, this is the most ancient symbol. Yeah, the pallium is. That's, that's the most significant thing. If we're going to notice, we always notice the crozier, the shiny stuff, you know, but mm-hmm. really the pallium is the, the, the most ancient symbol, right? It, it, yeah, it's really cool. It's oh. actually made each year. Every single year they make the palliums. Uh, oh, it's yeah. from lambs will freshly sheared on the face on the feast of Saint Agnes, which is a tradition originating during the pontificate of Leo. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the pontificate of John the 13th in like the 10th century. So that's Saint, crazy. Feast of Saint Agnes, they shear these sheep and they they weave the pallia. Pallia is the plural, um, and then they keep them in a small silver box in the crypt under the high altar at the Basilica of Saint yeah. Peter's near Saint Peter's tomb, which we just talked about. What a cool ago, tradition! Isn't that, that really we've cool? only been doing that for what a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I like, know. That's well, so crazy. It is really cool. So, it, it, but it's um. Well, that's awesome, Joe. Yeah, I, really I like cool. this. Uh, I like this topic. Now, if, if people are saying, ah, uh, you know, I don't know about these symbols. That's whatever, you know, liturgical stuff. But as a as an ordained deacon, I can tell you, when you vest. It's so profound. It really does call you back to the office that you've received. The ontological change has happened. It's very significant. I'll never forget the first time I was vested as a deacon um, with the stole and the dogmatic and uh, even putting a cope on this morning for holy hour. It's it really it really changes you and it really calls you on um, to be to live up to who you are. So these symbols have power. And if we don't think so, if we just think it's kind of weird and whatever, that's from you know uh, the Middle Ages for the man who's in it. It really does um, signify something and call him on in a deeper way. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a it's it teaches the faithful, but it also instructs the, so the individual. Exactly. You know, and you're ready to be ordained a you know a bishop now, so you you know all the stuff. Well, if and, I uh, was, I would at least know what I was putting on exactly, and why. But exactly. I'm ready, but well, good stuff. Well, we'll see you guys next week. And see any more week. thoughts, suggestions, insults, comments, whatever, we will take them. Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. 